This is High School Not So Much a Musical, a podcast that takes you on a ride to the peaks and valleys of a high school journey. Here are your presenters, Nitin Jaladanki and Ayush Agarwal. Okay, well, hello everybody and welcome back to High School Not So Much a Musical. And this week we're going to be trying something new where we're with video with our guest. And this week we have Mr. Heimler. So Mr. Heimler, could you tell us a little bit about your background on social media and YouTube, your teaching career and your current occupation? Yeah, of course. Uh, first of all, thanks for having me on. This is this is really great. I'm glad to be here. Uh, yeah, my name is Steve Heimler. And um, if anybody listening to this knows me, it's probably because of my YouTube channel, Heimler's History, where I help students uh, deal with, you know, their AP history courses and AP government. And, um, and yeah, my, my background in that is, is actually, I mean, this will probably be a theme throughout the whole podcast, uh, as we talk about it is, is very accidental. I mean, I started teaching history 10 years ago. And, um, <clears throat> you know, I, I was just like any first year teacher struggling, uh, trying to figure it all out, uh, trying to look like an idiot in front of my students. Um, and uh, about, I don't know, six or seven years into it no, maybe about five years into it, uh, I was teaching with a guy <clears throat> who I'm here in Atlanta. And so is he and he made um, uh, video courses AP video courses for homeschool students uh, because if you're homeschooled uh, you don't you know there's not a lot you can't take AP courses unless you self-study and then it's very hard um, and so he was doing that we got to talking about it over lunch and I was like dang I could do that I I, I think I could do that you know I've, I've got a I've got a, a history and you know theater I was I was a big theater kid loved theater and I was like yeah th I, I could do that and so um, that was my aim I was gonna make video courses for homeschoolers because there's a big homeschool community here in Atlanta and uh, and so I started recording videos but the problem was my hard drive was so small uh, I, I couldn't I didn't know what to do with all these large files so I just started uploading them to YouTube as sort of like an external hard drive and uh, and after after a few uploads, people just started finding them, and um, and so it was a, it was a very strange very strange thing for me. But it, and it took a while for me to really pivot in that direction. I was still I wanted to create those uh, those courses for homeschoolers. I never ended up doing that um, because the YouTube thing kind of took off. Um, but uh yeah last year uh was last spring was my last year in the classroom so i had a nice decade there and now i'm full-time on youtube it was interesting when you talked about how you started uploading uh, uploading uh the the videos that you can fit onto your hard drive onto youtube so that way uh you can free up some space on your hard drive and then people started watching them uh especially as a content creator what are some of the methods that you have been what, what are some of the methods you've used to be so consistent with the content you push out because before starting the podcast with Nitin, I like heavily underestimated the time that goes into content creation. I thought it was so easy, you know, just make a video a week about vlogging or whatever and then you get famous on YouTube. It's probably the easiest profession make a lot of money. Uh, but after 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 I after I start after I started working with Nitin on this, I realized the amount of work that actually goes into it. So if you could talk about, uh, you know, the discipline you've developed with social media and how you're able to, you know, push out content like so consistently, that'd be great. Yeah, I mean, 
discipline is a uh, strong word for what I have. Um, you know, when I was, especially when I was teaching and I was first starting out on this uh, on YouTube, I, I mean, you know, I was I was doing this in my free time, which there wasn't much of because, you know, I'd be teaching all week and then I'd have to do grading and, and, and prep for the next week and all this. And and so, you know, it was it was very difficult. Just any spare moment that I had, I just sort of crunched together these videos um, and and especially after it started growing, it was just, uh, you know, the thing that actually kept me going and and publishing the videos on time was the fact that there were people out there waiting for them, you know? And so that that may not be the case for everybody, but, you know, there, there was a certain group of people who were gathering around these videos and they were being helped by them. And they were like, dude, we're, you're behind my class. You gotta, you gotta hurry up. I was like, oh no. So I, I just, I just, cranked as hard as I could. And I wouldn't say I was the healthiest individual, uh, for a while. You know, I mean, I was, I was pretty, I was pretty, uh, I was going pretty hard. Um, but you know, it, I, I basically got to the point where I was, uh, doing about three videos a week in the beginning. Um, and, uh, I was able to, there was a few blocks of time where I knew that, you know, those I, I could, I could edit videos. Um, I knew that I could get up very early in the morning because nobody else was up in my house. Uh, there was no kids, uh, you know, needing attention. Um, so I would get up at 5 a.m. and I would work for a couple hours on these videos. Uh, and then every Saturday, my wife would go to the gym Saturday morning and she'd be gone for a couple hours. And I just knew that would be time that I could edit and, and record. So, um, so, you know, in the beginning, especially when this is just a side hustle, it's like, man, you, it, it's, it's more, it, it's not so much, you know, uh, f at least for me, I know for some people who are more organized and, you know, <laughs> who are able to uh, discipline themselves, it's like, you know what, I'm going to do it this time at this time at this time. Um, for me, it was just like, I wanted to do it. And so I just had to grab whatever time I had. And that meant some other things had to fall to the side. Like, I, oh, I love fly fishing and I, I, I wasn't able to fish as much. And, you know, it's just like, hey, this is this is what it takes and i want to do it so yeah that that's that's what i did um you know, what, what have you guys found as as far as doing this podcast uh getting it out uh finding the time to record i mean i know it's probably even more difficult when you got two people at least for me it was only me and i just had to work around my own schedule but uh what have you guys found so I think like one of the biggest things was we had this like ambition that we could just message anybody and they would just reply to us instantly. So in the beginning, I think Ayush can also vouch for us is that we were reaching out to these people who did like huge TED Talks, which had millions of views. We were reaching out to like doctors from UC Berkeley, expecting them to just reply like this to us. So I think that a big, a big part of the learning process was that we have to start out small so that we get a strong foundation and that we can slowly work our way up from there and we wanted to initially start the podcast in around june and july but realized that there's so much background work that needs to be done before you can actually start reaching out to people like establishing a brand and one of the things that we didn't realize was that there's this company called rss which essentially holds like a monopoly on all of the podcast creation and they charge almost like 200 dollars a year just so that you can host your podcast there. So that was one thing that we, there were a lot of struggles in the beginning, but I think that now with school, we've even gotten, we've gotten into like a good regimen of uploading every Friday. And I think those were some of the struggles that we faced in the beginning. I used to have anything else to add. 
I think another struggle was just like kind of splitting up the editing work, which actually became pretty simple. Uh, Nitin edited the first few podcasts since he's a lot better with this stuff than I am. And then from there, he kind of just figured out like all the basic tips and tricks. Then we, he, he kind of shared those with me and that, that made the podcast editing process pretty easy uh, in iMovie. Um, and now like we, I'm sure Nitin has gotten very efficient at editing. Then we just kind of do like, okay, you edit this week's podcast. I'll edit the next week's one, kind of split it up from there. Uh, that made it pretty easy. Yeah, that division of labor is is super helpful. I mean, so so you've got the, the additional, you know, you've got the additional difficulty of working around two people's schedules, but then the, the blessing of that is that you you have more people to bear the load. So uh yeah, I'm glad to hear that. I mean that that's important. Like when you when you tell people uh publicly, I'm I'm posting this every Friday or whatever it is, um, then that that has always been a real like I've always been very um, aware of how people, you know, um, um, think about me. And so, you know, not, not in a negative way, but like if I promise something, it's like I, I'm incapable of being like, well, just can't do it this week. And I was like, if I tell you something, I mean, I, I, I have to do it or else it, it messes me up. So, yeah, there's that there's power in that. I think like one of the similar situations to that is big mainstream YouTubers like David Dobrik or Roman Atwood or even like Markiplier and PewDiePie, they're kind of on this, they're like stuck to a schedule because they say, I'm going to upload every Tuesday. And then if you don't upload that Tuesday, millions of people will be after you streaming your Twitter feed, streaming your YouTube comments and everything like that. So I think that as a YouTuber, there's a lot of pressure put on you. I think that Ayush and I are kind of realizing that because we'll be up at like Thursday night for listening to like the final recording of it and then exporting the video. You don't realize how much time goes into like creating just one video because especially you probably know of it. It's because with all the editing, all of like your maps that you put in, everything like that, the file would get so large that it takes hours to export the video and then upload it to YouTube. So yeah, there's like a large learning curve to that. And I think that this leads perfectly to our next question. It's that Ayush and I both love making this podcast and it's something that we have a great passion for, but we get discouraged when some of our podcasts don't get a lot of views. So we initially started out in the beginning, our trailer got around 200 views. And then since then it's been slowly declining. So starting out as a YouTuber is very difficult in the beginning because you don't really see the true impact that you're making. So going all the way back to when you started making videos, what were some of the best ways that you used to get the word out about you? And how did you keep yourself motivated to keep going while not getting the complete feedback from your audience and looking at the real results? And I think that this will be a really beneficial question for Ayush and I since we're going through the expansion stages and we're getting we're having some trouble getting really strong viewership on our podcast. Yeah, I, that okay. First of all, number one, it's a long game. Like anybody who gets into this kind of thing, podcasting, YouTube, whatever, who wants to be an instant success, they're not going to last because what this is about is a long, long game. You guys have been doing this for a couple of months now. And it's like, if you haven't developed a strong uh, viewership slash listenership, that's normal. Like that's how, well, that's what you should expect. You know, we were all romanced by these stories. It was like this guy put out a video and it's like, psh, you know, blows up uh, overnight and he's got a million subscribers or whatever. It's like, that does happen. 
but it happens so rarely. And usually there are some mitigating circumstances that we don't even know. Um, and, but for most of, you know, normal schmoes like you guys and me, it's like, it's just, it just takes years of grinding and putting stuff out. Um, and, and the thing is, I think what most people don't realize is that when you start an endeavor like this, um, you know, you, you want, I mean, because you believe in what you're doing, you want people to see it. You want people to listen to it. Like, because you know what, how it's going to affect them, right? You guys are, your audience is, is high schoolers and I love what you're doing here. Um, and I, I believe along with you guys that this is going to affect people. Um, if only they could find it. Right. Um, but the, the thing that is good about it taking a long time to establish that audience is that, that you are still, and I, you know, in the first couple of years, it takes a while to find your voice. It takes a while to nail down who, who am I and how do I communicate what's true inside of me to an audience. Um, I don't know if you guys know who Ira Glass is. Um, he, he's the, the long time radio show host, uh, who hosts the show, um, this American life. And anyway, it's just a storytelling It's on, it's on, they do it on podcast as well, but it's a storytelling show. And, um, and I remember listening to an interview with him and this has always stuck with me. Uh, and it helped me interpret so much about this kind of creative work. He said that when you first start out, your taste for the particular medium is way above your ability. And, and you, you put everything you can into your ability with your taste way up here. And it's like, and then the thing that you produce is not anywhere close to what you would want to, you know, the thing kind of thing that you enjoy. Um, and yet the only way to bridge that gap is to just keep publishing and keep publishing. And eventually you'll get to the place where your taste actually matches what you're able to produce. And, and so like, and so I think it's actually a really good thing for it to take a long time to establish an audience because that way you have that time, right? To, to actually find out what your voice is and how to produce at the level of your taste. Um, like, I mean, if you go back and look at my old videos, I mean, my first videos, I mean, they're, oh, they're, they're terrible. I mean, people still watch them and I don't know why I don't. And I never, I never tell anybody like, oh, why are you watching? These are so bad. Cause that's, you know, probably not good form. But I look at them. I mean, there's. I mean, they're so terrible. And and yet, I, I remember making these videos, those old ones. And then, like when I was done exporting it, calling the family down because we're all gonna watch this together. You know, I was so proud of it. And now I'm looking at them like that's nowhere close to the kind of thing that I want to produce. Um, but uh, over the years, I've, I've gotten to the point where I have basically been able to produce the things that I I like. So. So yeah, man, I mean, it's a long game. Like if, if after five years you haven't found an audience yet, I think, well, then this, then, then there's some, something to be said. It's like, well, maybe this isn't what we're supposed to be doing, but it takes a while to find your people. And, and the truth is one more thing I'll say about it. It, what, what, it, what happened for me is I initially started publishing videos in those first years, um, to try to find a wide audience. Like I, I would publish videos, they, they were based on the AP curriculum, but if you, if you weren't in an AP class, you would never know because I was trying to, I was trying to get everybody on the channel. Like, Oh, everybody needs to know about Shay's rebellion and everybody needs to know about economics or whatever. 
<clears throat> um, it wasn't until I started in my third year uh, with AP World History that I just decided, you know what, I'm I'm gonna embrace the AP thing. I'm gonna go I'm gonna go narrow and and just focus on AP students. Uh, and so I started naming my video. They, they would not get searched. Like I would start naming my videos. The, the the title of the videos would be what the title of the unit and topic was in the you know college board curriculum. And and it's like it, it, th nobody is searching for these terms. But if you're in AP world, you know it and you've seen it. And and that's that's where things really started taking off for me. It's like, oh, those are my people. Those are the people who want to hear from me. Um, and that's when, by ironically, by going really narrow and excluding a lot of people, um, I was I was really able to find an audience. So it's interesting how that works. So I, I mean, in terms of you guys, like man, what you're doing is really good. I mean, it's really good. Uh, it's going to take a while, that, and that's okay. That's okay. I mean, I like what you said. Oh yeah, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, no, I, and I was just curious. Like, ha have you guys sensed like who your people might be or who your audience might be? I think that right now with school and everything, we've kind of like had trouble with marketing and taking the time to actually like figure out who our audience is and how to market to them. It's kind of like we're we're just creating episodes and turning them out. So that eventually, hopefully one day, somebody will like go through all of them and listen to all of them and be like, wow, this is something that I actually learned something from. Because in the end, it doesn't really matter how many people are listening to it, as long as one person gets the importance and feedback from it. That's all that really matters because our whole thing is about informing high schoolers and talking to them about the things that they have trouble expressing themselves, like eating disorders, sleeping, sleeping behaviors and everything like that, that they struggle with and express to their parents. And one interesting thing that you said was kind of like the time when you started to where you are now. And one thing that I noticed was in my eighth grade AP World History class, we before our first DBQ test, we watched your video on how to write a proper DBQ and everything like that. And the video was like 20 minutes long. But then next, but like going back to just last year when Ayush and I were preparing for AP World History, I went through every single one of your AP US History videos. And they were just like five minutes long, so I didn't lose my attention. And it's just everything that I needed. I think that this was a really good adaptation because with TikTok and everything like that, people are losing their attention really quickly because they just need all their information in one minute. And even though you're talking really quickly, I'm getting all the information that I need. And I think that this was just like a really cool thing, seeing how you started off here and started to there. So hopefully that we go through the same developing stages that you did. And I think that Ayush has the next question. Yeah, well, hold on. Before that, let me, let me just affirm what you're saying. Um, <clears throat> Yes, that's absolutely true. However, I would, I would say that I, I don't think anybody's attention span is decreasing. Um, I mean, people still can sit down in front of a video game and play it for eight hours at a time or watch a movie for two and a half hours at a time. It's not that people's attention span is decreasing. It's that uh, people are unwilling, more unwilling to tolerate being bored uh, by anything. Um, maybe that's the same thing, but I, I mean, to me, 
what, what it really comes down to is the story that you're trying to tell. Like you guys are telling a story. I'm telling a story, even though my videos are like, okay, here's like the six things you need to know. It's like, that's not really a story. What well, well, it actually is because, you know, every story has a character and that character wants something, but can't get it for some reason. And that's, you know, how they either get it or don't get it is the whole story. Um, and so I, that's how I envision the people who are coming to my videos like they are the heroes of their story they've come up against something that they don't know how to you know that they want a good grade or they want a good score on their exam but they don't know how to get it so here i come as the guide and i'm like let, let me help you resolve that tension and so um and so yeah absolutely if if the if the tension is clear in their minds it doesn't really matter how long the thing is they will wait until it it is resolved because we are story-based creatures and we want the tension resolved. So um, anyway, that's uh, maybe that's just another way of saying what you already said, but yeah. I kind of want to actually backtrack to something you said earlier about how the, the, the time it takes for a YouTube channel to really develop its own niche audience. Because um, as, as you post more and more, you kind of start understanding through like the analytics, how long people are actually watching your videos and all the statistics that like YouTube studio gives, like who your audience is. And I think that actually brings up like an interesting quote that I heard from a YouTuber. His name's like Ali Abdal, I think that's his name. And uh, he gave a quote some uh, about how, if you have zero subscribers, you should try producing videos like you have a million subscribers. And if you have a million subscribers, you should try producing videos like you have zero subscribers so in essence you should always try to produce videos that um you think are the highest quality that your audience specifically will listen to so if you have zero subscribers you should pretend you have a million subscriber audience and cater to that audience and that's going to help you grow your channel or if you have a million subscribers pretend like you have to try to rebuild your entire audience to reach out to like new markets on uh like uh, on like the youtube web essentially um and that kind of goes down to building your brand on social media. How can you use the platforms such as YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, Twitter, et cetera, and uh, try to maximize those platforms to uh, get the word about, about you. Um, and I, I think you've done that quite well, uh, very well actually, because for example, if if I walk into my school right now and I just go into like a AP world history classroom or an AP US history classroom, like a, a maybe a week or two before the exam, everyone knows your name because everyone before the AP exam usually uses the internet in some way, shape or form and uses the resources on the internet to um, prepare for the exam. And you, as you mentioned, since you are catering to that niche audience that's preparing for those AP exams, like as soon as they start to prep for those exams, your, your brand gets built and they hear about you. So could you talk a little bit about how you've been able to build your name and become so well known over the years, essentially build your brand on social media? I mean, yeah, I've always been a little uncomfortable with me as a brand, uh, you know, and even though I understand and I get it, you know, yes. Um, but really, at the end of the day, I mean, it, it was it was not intentional. You know, some, some people have a story like, you know, we sat down with a bunch with with a group and, you know, we 
planned out all the values and we planned out all the strategies and and then we implemented them that like no not not in the slightest um for me it came down to it's it was not a straight line right i mean yes i i you know i go to my uh, local pizza place every friday night and, and pick up pizza and there there are two girls who are in ap courses and you know when i go in there they're like hey thanks for the videos it's like yeah that that happens and and if you're right like there are people all over who use these things but that wasn't that might have been my hope but it certainly wasn't my strategy like i had no idea i'm not a very strategic person um uh but here's what i here's what i know um it really it if my if my focus was on building a brand i don't know that i would have had any success i mean i'm sure lots of people have success that way but um but for me the i had to get into the mindset of how can i best serve the people that i'm that i've been given like like i i, I always thought every subscriber was this gift and, and this responsibility like oh they, they've they've subscribed they're watching my videos okay i i've got to serve them well um and so for me you know i just had to keep telling keep asking myself how can i serve them how can i serve them what do they need and how can i serve them um and you know i that's probably not a lot of people would say no you you got to make stuff for you and it's like Nah, no, I know I don't. No, I, I mean I do make things because I enjoy it, and I do make things that I enjoy. But ultimately, I'm thinking about the person on the other end uh, because they're the hero of their story. I'm not the hero of the story. Like, like gather up all the subscribers and the awards and the, the, the like. That that's not a very interesting story to me. A much more interesting story is here are all these kids who are struggling with this thing and they need help, and I want to help them. Um, and so, really. For me, it's it's just been a long line of kind of, you know, circling back and uh, serendipities that I couldn't have planned for. Um, like, you know, for example, and, and I think I think a lot what a lot of people don't talk about is just how much how much luck is involved. I mean, luck or you know, providence or maybe serendipity is the best word. Um, like, I had I had made a whole slate of U.S. history videos. Then I made economics and then government. And I was just following along my, I was following my videos with what I happened to be teaching that year. Uh, because that was just easier for me to only think about one thing. And so on the year that I was going to be starting AP world videos, it turns out they completely changed the curriculum. Like it used to be, you know, it used to be that AP world started in 10,000 BCE, uh, then they switched it to, to start in 1200 CE. Like they cut out all of that. Um, and so I looked at that and I was like, and I went to a, you know, a training for it. And I was hearing all these teachers talking. I was like, oh, what about this? And what about that? And I was like, wait a minute. I should, I should make videos about this. I think a lot of people have questions about this. Um, and so I did and I put it out into the world. And then a teacher found it, put it on a teacher Facebook group where there was like, you know, 5,000 other AP world history teachers. And, and I'm just sitting there editing a video. And back in those days, you know, I had my note email notifications on for subscribers. So every time I get a subscriber, it would be like, ding, it would ding me. Um, and so I was like, ding, 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 ding. And I was like, what is going on? Like I couldn't figure it out. But anyway, um, so then they saw me as a as a resource and I started publishing videos that would help them and I was listening to the questions the teachers were asking I was like oh all the teachers are worried about what about all this 
time before 1200. So I was like, you know what? I'll make a video about everything that happened between 10,000 and 1200. Um, and it's like, and that, that was helpful. Like they wanted that, that, that served them well. And then when we got to the, you know, the, I mean, again, pandemic happened and, uh, everybody's freaking out because the, the exam got changed. You know, normally it's three hours and 15 minutes. And you've got all these different kinds of questions. They changed it to one DBQ and that's the whole exam. Um, and so like, I just, I, I already happened to be known on YouTube as, as the DBQ guy, like, you know, um, you, we already talked about, uh, and so people were coming to me and they were asking questions. So I just started churning out videos. Every question I got asked that, you know, came up three or four times. I'm like, I'm making a video about it. I'm making a video about it. And so I think people just got to the point where they realized, oh, this guy cares about me and he, he cares about my questions and, and he wants, he genuinely wants to help me succeed in this. And that's true. That's what I want. Um, so ultimately to me, it's not as much about building a brand is how can I best serve the people that have been entrusted to me and my care? Um, and, uh, and that, that's worked out. So, you know, it's not, it's, you know, nobody's going to write a book about that, but you know, how to brand like Heimler, nobody's going to, it's not a straight line. Um, but but that's what worked for me. And you know what, at the end of the day, I'm so glad that that's how it worked because I want to, I want to be known as somebody who really cares about the people on the other side. I mean, cause this is lonely work. You know, I'm just sitting here looking into a camera lens. Um, but when the, when the comments start coming in, it's like, oh man, I, I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm, I'm serving these people. So that, that's how I've done it. Okay, and one thing that I really liked that you talked about was you went to the conference and you were creating videos then. I remember that I was studying for A push and I wanted to take a break. So I just went through your channel and I saw this video called um, uh, The uh, Changes Coming to the AP World Curriculum. And it's just you sitting in front of like the building where the conference is going on and you talking with other teachers and asking them what are like the biggest mistakes that people make on DBQs, what are the changes and stuff like that. So I think that's pretty cool. And I kind of want to shift to a different topic now, and this has most, uh, most, mostly to do with AP history and like the meaning behind and the importance of it. So when most people think about any type of AP history, so it can be government, it can be Euro, it can be APUSH, think that they need to memorize a ton of information and then they're dissuaded from taking these classes. But one thing that our school did especially well was that they forced us to take one AP history every year of high school. And I think that this is really important because of how STEM focused our school curriculum is becoming. And I know that this was me in eighth grade because I took, I was taking AP World History and I was like, there's so much time and so much knowledge that I need to learn. And I just need to memorize all of it. And I realized that when I was taking a push that it's more about the trends and how things are changing over time. Everybody talks about continuity and change, cause and effect and stuff like that. So could you please talk about the importance behind learning history, whether it be US history or European? Yeah, for sure. But before I start, you know, flapping my mouth hole, I'd be curious to know what as you guys have have taken these courses, what what has been the importance of them for you? Well, I think that this is kind of like a two part question. I think that Ayush can also add on to me after this. So once we took AP economics in ninth grade, when we were learning AP government alongside with that in ninth grade, 
so much connected to us how every how the policy was created and then once we got to 10th grade we realized that economics was a huge factor in a push and we were able to understand with all i remember you made a video about this about um henry ford and his vertical integration and how he kind of bought out everything so that he was the main monopoly so i think that everything like connected for us which is why we became so interested in the topic and i think that ayush can also add on to this history was important to me for a different reason i think it was just because of like the simple fact that history repeats itself over time right so if you're able to understand the past very in depth figure out what mistakes people made how they were able to uh be successful how they were how they were able to you know uh make like billion dollar businesses or whatever uh then you can take advantage of that knowledge and use it today uh and incorporating some of the aspects and some of the techniques that they used into today's like public policy making or into today's economy into today's business that can actually uh improve the world for the better so uh that that that's where i think history became important for me because uh it, it, there's a lot to learn from it and a lot to apply to the present. Yeah, I mean, you, you guys are are being very utilitarian about it and I I will I agree uh, on the utilitarian point, but I'm going to get philosophical about it too. Uh but first let me affirm the utilitarian uh argument about why history is important. Um it's I remember uh reading now I can't remember uh which novel it was uh by William Faulkner. This is a famous line. He says uh the past is not dead it's not even past and, and by by which he means we we carry the past into our present um that's why it was i mean it's so anyway I, I could go on and on about that let me say it succinctly um we anytime we meet another person we, we don't understand how that person works who they are what what their motivations are what they want unless we know their story like you, you, you know, you go to school for the, on the first day and you meet somebody and it's like, Hey, we have this interest together. And it's like, but eventually pretty soon you're going to have to know that person's story. If you are going to understand what they're about and, and how they got to where they are, because if you don't understand the story, you won't understand the present. And the same is true as, as far as I'm concerned about history is that if you don't understand where we've come from, uh, the, the, the past that we've carried with us on our backs into the present, um, we'll make some very foolish and rash decisions that we ought not make. Um, and so, yes, absolutely, history helps us in that very, you know, clear utilitarian way. Um, but, but philosophically, like history, every discipline brings to the human race something completely different. Um, I, you know, I'm, I'm not one of those history teachers that, that poo poos on the STEM disciplines because I, I love them. I mean, I'm not good at them, but I love them. I think they're marvelous. Um, but, uh, but history is, is in the humanities curriculum. And the whole point of the humanities is to expand the humanity of the person who is studying it. Um, now the STEM disciplines extraordinarily useful and and they they are able to expand your uh you know your ability to analyze and to think logically and that that's great and to solve problems in the real world and that's why a lot of people look at history and they're like what what problem is this solving and it's like oh my gosh are you are you kidding me right now like so many people when september 11th 
2001 when the terrorist attack happened they're like we're just we're just sitting here doing nothing and then we got and people came over and ran planes into our buildings it's like oh no 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 there's there is a whole story there uh stretching back uh three decades of u.s involvement in the middle east there, there is a much larger story there or or why you know people have so many uh opinions about what's going on recently with um the uh the, the removal of u.s troops from afghanistan or the coronavirus pandemic it's like all of these things require context if you're going to understand them and we have to understand them if we're going to have an opinion on them and if we're going to enact policy especially if we're going to enact policy about them so um so yeah in do in in studying this it it imbues us with a particular way of thinking that no other discipline can just like just like biology gives us a certain dis way of thinking that no other discipline can like every discipline has that um but the way we think historically as you already mentioned changing continuity over time um comparison and um uh uh i'm forgetting one of the major ones and i don't know why uh, but the point is these these are the the historical thinking skills that this discipline gives to us and as we learn to think in that way it expands our humanity not only because we're thinking in new ways but also because we are enabled we are unable to go into the past meet people who are not like us even if even if we're looking at you know 1970s america these people are not like us every, every time we go into the past it's like going into a foreign country and so we have to humble ourselves and listen to them and take their ideas on their own terms not with the terms that we bring to the conversation and so his history makes us more human by giving us humility and the opportunity to love those who you know um uh, and by love, I don't mean like romantic, like, oh, I just feel something. No, no I mean, like, uh, to care for them, you know, and to, and to hear them, uh, on their own terms. So, I mean, yeah, is there, are there things to memorize? <laughs> well, yeah, of course there are, but, um, but that is just the smallest version. And to me, the, the study of history is there for the expansion of a person's humanity. In addition to being very useful, uh, in other realms as well does that ring true to you guys i don't know yeah i think it definitely does because being born in the u.s and living in the u.s we see like all these hispanic names in california like san jose santo domingo and all these kind of like and we don't really know why they're there they're just there but once you actually learn about the spanish-american war and all of that kind of stuff we learn how it started and why we're here and why our street names are named Santa Teresa and why there's so many Spanish missions that if you go up, go up north in California, I think it really gives us a better understanding of our surroundings. And one really interesting thing was um, I'm taking AP European history this year. And one of the things that I realized was so one thing interesting about me was that for my sixth and seventh grade, so from 2016 to 2018, my family and I actually moved to Europe for two years. And we were living in Budapest, Hungary, which is like Central Europe. And one really fascinating thing about the place is that flights are super cheap there. Like, believe it or not, it's $17 for like a flight from Budapest to Italy. So you just get on the flight at like four in the morning and it's $17 and it's just 
it's mind-blowing because even to go from like san jose to los angeles it's like a 200 plane ticket and it's just for an hour but these two and three hour flights were so cheap so one of the things that was really interesting was that we traveled almost every other weekend and kind of seeing how all these so one of the things that we're learning about in history now is the italian renaissance and uh, our teacher showed us like a picture of the sistine chapel and i was like oh i actually saw that in person and it's just kind of cool to see how history is something that you'll never be able to get enough of because it's constantly happening and it'll never stop and it's crazy to think about and i was i remember talking with ayush about this is that kids 50 years from now are going to be talking about the pandemic now and we're living history at the moment so the neck the black death is what we're living now and it's going to be like just a different time period and maybe the next time we'll be making a video about our pandemic so it's just something cool that i realized and i used to have anything else to add i was gonna add that um another benefit of history in high school education is that you kind of end up learning a lot about stem indirectly For example, in a lot of our STEM classes, they give a brief introduction to history of STEM a lot of the time. For example, there's like Charles Darwin in biology, right? Like you spend months in biology learning about Charles Darwin, the Finches, evolution theory, etc. And you kind of learn all that stuff in history as well. So it, it, it provides like two different perspectives. You learn it from the biological perspective you you like analyze like the beaks and you analyze the data etc and then in history you kind of learn okay where did charles darwin get the funding for the exploration from did those funding did that funding uh maybe change like the results of the experiment or whatever and then that 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 kind of back and forth um the shifting in perspectives gives you like a super thorough overall understanding of of that topic um and then that that allows you to carry carry over the skills that you learned in history and knowledge you learned in history into your stem subjects which is why i i think history is pretty important and i yeah. feel like this is really important because in geography we learned that columbus found north america and something like that but then when we get to european history and us history we realize he was funded by the french king and queen and then from there he went all the way to the us and he thought that he found asia but he actually found the us So I think that everything just connects and even though we think that STEM is way more important than history nowadays which is what the common what the common belief is everything is so interconnected especially between geography and history that it's just something that you can't really understand completely without having both of the subjects knowledge within you. So I think that that's a really important part of history. And yeah, that's pretty much all I have to say. And are you sure anything else? Uh, I think I think Mr. Heimler actually had something to add. Uh whatever it was it's is left my mind. All I know is uh hearing you guys talk like that about history makes this history teacher's heart beat fast. That's that's exactly right. So regarding more about your YouTube and the ultimate review packet which is what Ayush and I we buy it every single year for every single class that we're taking if it's there because it's just such a good resource and remember that using your notes for US history just reading them the night before everything was so solidified in my mind that I knew that I'm just going to take this test and I'm going to do well on it so regarding that do you have a team of people that you like split up your YouTube and review packet creation work with 
or just something that you do by yourself? Uh, yeah, I, I do have other people that help me with it. Um, I, I think one of the things that I've learned um, over time is is that I need to focus on the things that I'm good at and not on the things that I'm not good at. Um, and the things that I'm good at uh, are the things that everybody sees. You know, it's the it's the video creation, it's the writing of the scripts and all this sort of thing. Um, that's about the only thing I do reasonably well. Um, <clears throat> if I had to create all the paper materials in the ultimate review packet, that, that would destroy me. And frankly, I'm not that good at writing questions. I'm not that good at formatting all the, you know, that is not my thing. And so, um, so, you know, when you're a teacher, I, I always joke, like, like I was always a really bad teacher. Um, because if there was 10 things that you needed to do well in order to be a good teacher, I really only did maybe like two of them really well. And the other eight, I was terrible at. Uh, so, you know, I, I was, I presented well in the classroom and I think the students really thought that I cared about them because I did. Um, those were the, kind of the two things that I did really well. But when it came to like timely grading, email, like all the all the administrative tasks that a teacher should do well, um, I was terrible at them. Um, but when you're a teacher, like you, it's not like you can hire somebody to do all the stuff. You know, you just focus on the stuff you're good at. You just hire somebody else. Like, no, no, teachers don't get paid anything. Um, you can't do that. Um, but when I decided to start making this ultimate review packet, and as something that that I would sell as cheaply as I could, but still sell it, I'm like, okay, I'm going to take a chance here. I, I I'm going to uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna pay somebody. Like money, I don't really have. I just pull it out of my savings account, which was which pre was pretty meager to begin with. Um, and uh, I'm gonna ask somebody else, somebody I trust, to do all this for me. Um, and it was one of those risks that that really paid off uh, because stuff in the ultimate review packet is way better than anybody could have than I could have done. Um, but on the on the other hand. Uh, like the first packet I did, well, I guess government was the first one I did, but uh, the first one I, I really took responsibility for was AP World. Um, I My friend Eileen Branick helped me do it. And um, and she, she was not able to create videos like me. I was not able to do the thing that she did. And so it was like, it was this great thing that we got to do to work together. Um, so, so yeah, it was, it was a, it was a risk for sure, but one that ultimately now now it's like i don't i don't touch anything that has to do with content or has to do with like uh resource creation i'm just i'm always bringing in other people uh to do that because that's just not what i'm good at so just one really quick comment is that um it happened over just this weekend but one of my 10th grade friends who's a grade below me was saying i have an a push test coming up how do i study for it and my first instinct was just send them the link to the ultimate review packet because it's just such a great resource so just a quick plug if you're if for any class for any history for any economics class just check out the ultimate review packet and it's a great resource that anybody can use and yeah i think that ayush has a follow-up question i like what you said there about like specifically analyzing what you're good at and what you're not good at and then going based on that and delegating tasks to your team based on that. And I think that's like an important skill of anybody who's 
try, who's trying to be a leader in any sort of scenario and trying to get a wide variety of tasks done. The reality is like nobody's not nobody's good at anything. That's why we had the concept of specialization, right? Figure out what you're good at, study that in great detail, and then based on what you studied, use those skills. So um, I, I wanted to ask you like, how are you able to over the course of the over the course of doing over the course of making YouTube videos and like kind of exploring? Okay, now I want to do the ultimate re review packet. Now I want to try to put out these like questions on the internet, or now I want to try to like make this new resource. How are you able to figure out like I'm really good at talking in front of the camera, making these videos, but I'm not so good at this. So how are you able to figure out like your strengths, your weaknesses, and how are you able to build that team of multiple people over the years? and delegate tasks across the different team members. So your burden is reduced. And now like the overall product is also higher quality because you've done right. what you're good at. And then other people who are better at doing the other things, they've done what they're good at. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, by bringing other people on, my burden has not been reduced. It has only been, it is actually increased uh, because I'm now I'm now producing five to six videos a week uh, instead of you know two or three. Um, but that's that's but the burden is satisfying. It's more, but it's satisfying. So I remember reading. I, I think here's how you know how to find what that is. Um, I remember reading. This is in Harvard Business Review, and I can't even remember what it was several years ago. Um, but they were talking about how you know the the. The dominant narrative in society when it comes to brain research is right brain and left brain. That's how we think about, you know, some people are left brained, some people are right brained. Um, but what he was saying was that there's, you know, the, the newest, freshest cutting edge research is like, it's not really left brain, right. And by the way, if this is not right, I, I'm just telling you what I read. I am not a, you know, neuroscientist. Um, but, uh, but what this guy was saying uh, was that the latest research is saying, no, it's not really halves of the brain. It's more like quadrants. And so, and everybody is dominant in one quadrant. So you can be left front dominant or right back dominant. Um, and what they were saying is that if you perform a task that requires energy or electricity to move between uh, spheres that are next to each other, that that's, there's not much energy required for that or from here to here or whatever. But if you have to do a task that requires energy to move from, you know, across the brain from the furthest region to, you know, the region that's furthest away from it, that is exhausting. It takes like 25 times more calories, energy, however they measure it to do that task than it would be if you were doing something that was in, you know, regions that were next to each other. And as soon as I heard that, I was like, that explains everything. Like, because he was giving some examples, like if you are right front dominant and you have to do, uh, you know, administrative tasks like respond to emails, think through a spreadsheet, which is left back and it has to go all the way across, you will be exhausted afterwards. And I was like, oh, I am exhausted after that. Yes, I absolutely am. And so to me, I was like, okay, so, so there's actually a neuro biological reason for this um so it's not that you know i, I write i i just i don't I, I have no idea how many hundreds of thousands of words i've written 
in my life. I mean, I've, I've got all these videos, they're all scripted out. Uh, and I do other speaking stuff. And I, I mean, there's so many words that I've written on my, you know, stored on my Google drive and, uh, and it's hard work and I am exhausted at the end of it. Like if I'm right, if I'm just doing a you know, five scripts in a row, I just got to bang these out so I can record, but you know what? It's not, it's not the bad kind of exhausting. It's the satisfying kind of exhausting. Um, but just, okay, here's some fresh bread for you. Um, I was putting together uh, resources for uh, A-Push teachers. Um, and I, in order to do that, you know, I, I brought somebody in who's a good resource maker. And I was like, hey, you've got to, for every one of these units and every one of these topics, I want a good resource that, that teachers can use in class. And she did a magnificent job. But then it was my job to take basically a 50 page uh, Google Docs form or uh, uh, document and gather up all the resources that she had created, format them, you know, put them into pages on my Mac and format them so that they look nice and then go through and upload each one into my, into the little, you know, course shell. And I'm telling you what, I mean, I, I had like a headache. My eyes were blurry. I was, I was, and I, for hours I had to do this uh, over several days. Um, and that's just not, I mean, I had to do it. There's nobody else who could do it, uh, but it's just not my thing. And so I think you just have to start by asking yourself the question, what kind of tasks give me energy? And after having done them, I feel satisfied, even if I'm exhausted versus which kind of tasks do I do that uh, I get real nihilistic afterwards? Like what even matters anymore, you know? <laughs> so. Um, I think that's, I, I think that's the way to distinguish it. Um, and, and the thing is, you're not always able to avoid the tasks that you, that you're not good at. Like, like I was telling you, I mean, in my first few years, I, I couldn't afford anybody to help me when I was teaching, I couldn't afford anybody to help me. Um, but the more I put my work out into the world, uh, the more I was able to, you know, more people found help with the ultimate review packet and started buying it. I was like, Oh, I, you, you need to come help me and you need to come help me. I mean, it's so now I'm in a position where I can, where I can get that help. So, um, but sometimes you just have to grind it out and it's going to be hard. So can't avoid that. Okay, so I think that we're almost at the one hour mark, which means that you're, you're probably listening to part two of this podcast. And this is a question that we ask all our guests, and it's a very general question. So do you have any tips for everybody listening, whether it be about world history, whether it be about any, any course that they're taking or school in general, just any tips or advice that you could give to our listeners? Yeah, um, and I, I actually recently made a video about this. Um, and it's going to sound too simple and it's going to, and people are going to dismiss it, but this is the, the actual truth. And I know because I, I lived it. Um, I was not a very good student in high school. In fact, you know, breaking news on this podcast, I never took an AP course in my life. Oh, this is, oh no. Um, but I was like a C student, maybe best. I think I, I think I graduated high school with a 3.0, just barely squeaked by. Um, so I could get a scholarship here in Georgia. And, uh, but when I got to college, like I, I wanted to do better. I was never a good student, but I wanted to do better. And being the first person to ever go to college in my family, uh, I didn't have much, anybody giving me any advice, but my father-in-law told me, listen, 
If you want to get good grades, it's really, it's really simple. There's only two things you have to do. Go to class and do what they tell you to do. And that's it. And I was like, come on, that's not it. But you know what? I went to class, which of course in college is technically optional. I mean, you should go, but like nobody's taking role. At least they didn't in my day, <laughs> back in my day. Um, but, uh, and I just did what they told me to do. So if they assigned me 50 pages from this book to read on Wednesday night, that's what I did. And if they said, you know, fill out this uh, chart, that's what I did. And it's like, nobody was checking on that stuff. I didn't have, I, no, I wasn't getting a grade for it, but it's like, I just did what they asked me to do. And guess what? I got good grades in high school. And so it really, it really is that simple. Now it's complicated by the fact that if you've got like seven courses all vying for your time, if you go to class and do everything they tell you to do, you might not breathe again. Um, and so then it takes some wisdom to know, well, which one of these am I willing to sacrifice in order to do well in this one over here? That, that may be a question that you have to answer, but ultimately it, it's, it's hard work, but it's not complicated work. Like it's, it's simple. It's hard, but simple, I guess I'll say. So just go to class and, and do what they tell you to do. Engage with what your teacher gives you. Um, and if you, if you don't have a good teacher, which happens to somebody happened to me when I was in school, then it's up to you. And I, that, I know that's not fair, but it is, it's up to you. So, uh, but I'll help you, you know, come see me. I'll help you. So my final, final question is I told Ayush before the podcast that, are you ready to get your brain cows in milk? And I was just wondering if you could explain how that phrase came about, because Ayush doesn't know what it means and how it came about. So if you could just explain <laughs> it as a final end off for a podcast. That would be great. Yeah, I don't, I don't know that I know what it means. Somebody, you know, so often people will comment and say, you know, that doesn't really make sense because, uh, you know, if you're milking a cow, something is, you know, the milk is coming out and the, aren't you like putting stuff into the brain? It's not coming. Anyway, I was like, but you know what? It was really, there's not a, there's not a fancy, you know, dramatic story behind it. I was sitting right over there, uh, before this basement was finished and I had that old set that I used in my AP world videos. And, uh, I was, I was just sitting there thinking like, I gotta have a better, th I gotta have something better that I say when we, when we start. And I was like, what could I say? Uh, something about putting something in your brain. What if your brain was a cow? I'm gonna milk, milk your brain cow. That's why. And so I just started saying it. It was literally that. It was just. It, then that should tell you something about you know, something disturbing about my brain is that that's that that's how easy it came and that's where it was. And the, and but for some reason, I liked it. I kept saying it. It stuck. And now nobody would tolerate it if I didn't say it at the beginning because it's become one of those you know sort of creeds of uh, people who come around my channel. So. Yeah, that's it. There's, it's weird. It doesn't make a total amount of sense, but then it's kind of like, if you know me, it's like, yeah, it kind of makes sense. Okay. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you for having me. That's our show for today. Now roll the credits. High School Not So Much A Musical is hosted by Ayush Agarwal and Nitin Jaladanki. Narration by Samhit Padala. Music from Louis Luang, Rock Teaching Cafe, Tune Pocket, and Infraction. If you like the show, please recommend it to your friends and family. Thank you for listening and see you next time.